now, Backyard Millionaire. How to create wealth where you are with what you've got. Here's your host, Chris Story. Andrew Carnegie said 90%, he's very specific on this, 90% of all millionaires become so through owning real estate. Think about that. Andrew Carnegie, what did he do? Well, he built businesses. He built an industry, the steel industry, actually. He spent the first half of his life building a fortune, the second half of his life giving it away. And in his lifetime, he knew that a majority of millionaires made their money in real estate. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a realtor. God said, I need somebody that will get up before dawn with the dedication of the sun, risk time, energy, and investment for no salary or guarantee, work long hours on the street, prepare and deliver presentations, serve and attend to others' emergencies, then stay out past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a realtor. God needed somebody mentally tough that could wake up unemployed every day, yet gentle enough to have compassion for others, someone that can build a bridge between people and technology, someone to arrive home nightly in the dark to accommodate others' time, tell them, thank you for the opportunity, and mean it, so God made a realtor. God said, I need somebody that can sell like Carnegie, make contacts and write contracts, handle objections and deal with rejections, and who can finish her 40-hour week by Wednesday noon, then weary from contingencies and people's eccentricities and volatilities, put in another 40 hours and sacrifice a weekend, too. So God made a realtor. Puff is just the name of the boy's magical dragon. Puff, the magic dragon, lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Holly. Little Jackie Paper loved that rascal Puff and brought him strings and sealing wax and other fancy stuff. Just watched Meet the Parents the other night. Uh, Puff's just the name of the boy's magical dragon, Barker. Puff the magic dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called Thank you for being here. Of all the things you could be doing right now, you're spending some time here with me, and I appreciate you for that. Coming up in just a little bit, Rhonda Johnson is going to be here with our mortgage moment. We're going to be talking about interest buy-down. Who pays for it? How can it be paid for? What does it mean? Also, we're going to be talking about refinance. She's going to give a few predictions on interest rates and more. That's Rhonda Johnson with our mortgage moment. That's coming up in just a little bit. You know, I'm pretty excited about something. Now, tomorrow's my birthday. and that, Look, okay, do I expect you to come here at the corner of West Hill and the Sterling Highway, 1005 Carriage Court, Story Real Estate, Story Productions, Story Properties. Do I, no. 
and drop off some sort of a gift. No, of course not. A baked good or other way. No, of course not. But you can always go online at ilovehomeralaska.com and send me an email anytime. It could be about my birthday, which who cares, really? In the grand scheme of things, past 40, right? Who cares? Um, but anything, anything that's on your mind. I love answering questions. In fact, I was answering questions for somebody in Illinois yesterday. They had a question about a piece of real estate that they were selling. Actually, no, I take it back. It's a piece of real estate that was being sold next to theirs that was causing some consternation. And I gave some advice, suggested some legal counsel, suggested a few ideas as to how to approach the neighbor just from a negotiation standpoint or a neighborly standpoint. And so that's what I love to do that. Wherever you are, go to ilovehomeralaska.com. If there's anything I can do, go to the contact us, click on my email and send me a message. If it's private or confidential type information, I'm not going to share it here. I'll ask if it's in really interesting real estate, like an FAQ type thing that I think, hey, this is this is important. Let, let me go over this. And then I'll share some details, uh, but never people's very specific information. And I always ask permission first. For example, the person that I was helping in Illinois yesterday, I said, hey, do you mind if I share this? Because at least the premise of it, because it's important. And they said, of course, please. And so here's what was going on. It is a large piece of property, a farm, and adjacent, the farm owner adjacent is selling off a chunk of their land, and it happens to be adjacent to, to this person's farm, and there's a pond in question, and it's a very large pond developed by this person's family years and years ago, and she's saying, hey, hold on a second, the line that they've drawn for this new lot goes through the middle of the pond. And that's wrong, and that's totally inappropriate. That This is our pond and our water source. It's the main water source for our farm. And so you can see the contention that could exist there. And so obviously, this other parcel is about to close. They just got wind of it. It's like seven days from closing. And I said, you need to work quickly. First off, find out where it's closing. Talk to the abstract or the title officer and their attorney. Get your own legal advice. Engage a surveyor as quickly as you can. Doubtful they're going to be able to get a survey in the week in between. Hopefully, they're going to be able to talk to the neighbor, forestall that closing, or get some evidence as to how did you determine this line? Because they're talking about long legal description, meets and bounds type description. That could be anything from you know 400 paces from the stone at the corner of such and such, southwest quarter corner of the, you know what I mean? It's a very complicated and so at a minimum, and I hate to say this, but at a minimum, if they can't resolve something quickly, there's a really good chance they're going to need to throw a wrench into that closing real quick with their attorney's help, like a Liz Pendence or something like that, which notifies all that litigation could be pending here until they can get that resolved. And unfortunately, well, the end result might be that they don't know where their own property line is. And they may have assumed that the pond was all on their side, and it may not be. That's a reality sometimes. When we go to do a, do something, an improvement, anything on our property, the best thing you could do for yourself, if you don't know exactly where the line is, get it surveyed, get it verified. Every fence I've ever put up at any of our properties, we have a line survey first. And what I did most recently at my house, and I, I would probably do the same at an investment property, but this is just my house. I had a line survey all the way around, and we put our fence approximately 12 inches inside of our own property line. 
So we're not sharing the fence. And that isn't a grinchy kind of thing to do. It's just simply, look, I want to own and control the fence. I don't want to question as to whose fence is it later. I don't want to question about if I go to stain the other side of my fence. I'm within my rights. It's in my property. And so I'd rather forego that extra 12 inches of the land than to give it up and uh, give up any control or ownership of the fence in question at all. I'd rather be on inside than anywhere close to the edge of that property line in this instance. And in the instance that I'm citing here, unfortunately, this pond might be over the property line. And so the advice I gave her might, in fact, prove the neighbor's point. And it'd be sad for the neighbor to lose the entirety of that pond. But I'm sure still some rights, water rights, etc., can be uh, secured and proclaimed there. So if you have a question or a concern or a, a weird scenario that you've seen, share it with me. Go to ilovehomeralaska.com and uh, just find the contact Chris and send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. We are getting a puppy. Tiffany leaves tomorrow for Seattle to pick up our puppy, um, a beautiful little King Charles Cavalier Spaniel, which I've said it before. I'll say it again. When God said, let there be dog, this is exactly what he meant. It took a while. It took until like, um, I think 1850 or something like that to perfect the breed. But ever since, it's been just, you know, the most phenomenal dog. And so Reagan's going to have a sister and her name is Tallulah. So we're very excited getting the house prepped and uh, getting puppy prepared. A friend of mine back in Maine just got one, another one. She's got one Cavalier, and she just got another puppy. And I was just telling her, I just sent her an email the other morning. and said, hey, here's a picture of our new puppy. Uh, Tiffany's getting ready to go get her. And this, I shouldn't have because this person came back with, oh, be prepared for sleepless nights and chewing everything. I was like, no, I'm still living in the glow of this is going to be great. And, of course, there's going to be there's going to be work. There always is. Anything good requires some effort. That's our backyard millionaire formula. Leverage multiplied by effort equals gold. In this case, the leverage, I think, involved is simply the most adorable, beautiful eyes you've ever seen. The most beautiful eyes on a dog in a face that just will melt the hardest hearts in the world. If you don't believe me, Google up right now, Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, and look into those eyes and tell me that you're not in love. Give it a try. I bet you can't. Also, this is kind of a fun little fact. On my Facebook page, if we're not friends on Facebook, we should be. Just go to Facebook, look me up, friend me, request, I'll accept, and we'll be friends. I just posted a picture of myself, which I don't often do. And it's a picture of me from 1996, 97, somewhere in there. And uh, rocking this weird Harry Potter style. I don't understand it. I don't know what was going through my head. But I made a point in that post, not just to share a picture of myself, because uh, it, it ain't, trust me, it ain't flattering. But I wanted to make a point that in the moment that that image was captured, if you had asked me, Chris, what business are you in? In 1997, I would have told you, even though I was standing inside of our very first investment property, commercial property nonetheless, I would have told you, oh, I'm in the pottery business. I was in my own pottery studio teaching a class, and I would have said, oh, I'm in the pottery business. That's, that's what I do. That's who I am. I'm in the pottery business. And I look back on it, and I reflect now that, in fact, I was in two businesses at once. I was in the real estate investment business, and I was in the pottery business. And if I'd recognized it sooner, well, 
I would have been better off, but that's okay because at some point it clicked and it dawned on me that in fact, I'm in two businesses at once and may I suggest you are as well. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire, How to Create Wealth, where you are with what you've got. Stick around, the mortgage moment coming right up. You're listening to The Backyard, a millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story in conversation with none other than Rhonda Jake Johnson. Rhonda Johnson of Cornerstone Home Lending. You could do what I do. Call or text at 907-252-5682 or go online, rhondajohnson.net. Rhonda, good day. Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm trying to channel my inner Paul Harvey. I miss that guy. Did you, did you listen to Paul Harvey when he was on the air? Always. Mm-hmm. Always. I love listening to him. I played a Paul Harvey excerpt last week, a, a prelude to Thanksgiving, and I thought, well, this is rather indulgent. This is really for Chris' story. And I got so much positive feedback, people saying, wow, I just we, I would love to have him back on the air. Yeah. So we'll yeah. do our best. The rest of the story. Well, speaking of the rest of the story, I've been seeing a lot of interest rates posted for 30-year rate, fixed rate mortgages and so forth that are like sub 7%. And and you've mm-hmm. helped me understand what that means by reading the fine print. So if we could touch on a few things today that I wanna, I wanna help educate as many people as possible um, w- what to look for when you're looking at a posted interest rate, number one. And also I'd like to get into how do we go about buying the interest rate down, who can pay for it, all of that, and then down payment as a barrier to entry. But let's start back with, if I see somebody posting inter- uh, rates on the internet or online somewhere, what do I need to know about what that rate could actually require of me? Right, and it's really hard to quote interest rates, Chris, because there's so many variables for each individual person, depending, I mean, like 26, 30 different uh, variables that dictate what your personalized interest rate is gonna be. So when you see something online posted, then it has some qualifications in order to get that interest rate. And for example, if you uh, go online and then it'll have something saying legal disclaimers or notes or something along that lines, then it'll tell you, yeah, you can get this rate if you meet this credit score, you meet this down payment, you meet this debt to ratio, you meet these uh, parameters, then this is the rate that you can get. And what they're usually trying to quote, of course, is what the very, very best possibility could be. Mm -hmm. But you might not fit into the parameters of that very, very best interest rate. So it's really important to get a a personalized quote from your lender and uh, see what your rate is depending on your particular program and circumstances. And I've been doing this a long time, and I'm the first to admit I – I don't try to memorize everything. I don't try to put all of that into my mind, not to sound, um, you know, overinflate my own ego, but I consider myself a little bit like Einstein. Like, why do I, I don't need to remember all that stuff. He, he couldn't even remember his own phone number. He goes, why would I memorize that when I can go to the phone book? And so I don't need to know all this stuff, but I'd like to know a working knowledge of it. And I kind of pride myself on having a, a pretty 
you know, basic skill set when evaluating different types of mortgage programs and all of that. And yet recently I sent you something and said, hey, what about this interest rate? And you then zoomed in on the very sheet I sent you and you zoomed in on the fine print, the little subtext underneath all of that. And I was like, oh, I hadn't read the fine print. I didn't realize that was with 25% down, uh, an amazing credit score. And then also with the rate being bought down. Correct. So there, so, and, and they'll all give you some different options like that. I know I looked at one the other day uh, for a client on an FHA loan and they wanted 35% down <laughs> to get that posted rate. And the whole purpose of an FHA loan is we can do like a three and a half percent down, right? Mm-hmm. Not 35% down. <laughs> and so it's really, really important to know the parameters that they're giving you. And that's why it is so hard to quote interest rates just mm-hmm. in general. And I have to, I have to say, it's it's very similar to asking a builder or a building contractor, "Hey, how much do you build per square foot?" Well, I can give you a base model, I can give you a mid level, I can give you this. Let's talk about the home you actually want built, and then I'll exactly. quote you on it. Exactly, exactly, because you might be fine with painted plywood floors, or you might want, <laughs> you know, engineered hardwood. Who knows? Right. You might want granite countertops or laminate you know it all depends on your personal wants and desires and situations you're listening to the backyard millionaire chris story here in conversation with none other than ronda johnson with cornerstone home lending so look at the fine print and always as i i've said for many years go to a mortgage broker you know like and trust just like ronda and i i proudly in fact i was just telling tiffany this morning um you know, that I, I'm, I'm really proud that you're in the book that I'm currently writing called The Millionaire Maker. I actually reference you as somebody who's been our personal mortgage broker for 22 years, and I've relied on you personally. And that's what gives me such great confidence in recommending you to people that are just starting out, first time home buyer, or maybe they're looking for their fifth or sixth, you know, rental property, whatever it is. And that mm-hmm. breadth of knowledge, I, I rely on probably more than I should. I'm sure you, uh-huh. you, you and your husband both would uh, appreciate me not texting you at 7 p.m. <laughs> on your anniversary night. <laughs> but but let's, well, let's talk about buying the interest rate down. We're seeing yeah. what many are considered rec- considering record high interest rates because they haven't looked far enough back in history to see when they were 12 or 16%, where two points right. of a prime and prime was 12 or 14. And so now we're dealing with 7 to 8%, and it's a little bit of a uh, hard to wrap your head around that, especially today's current average sale prices. So buying the right. rate down has become a very popular conversation how does it, where do we even start to look at buying the rate down? Right. So there's a couple of different possibilities that you can do. Right now, for example, we have a lender paid interest rate buy down where basically for 12 full months, one full year, we are going to buy that rate down by 1% for you. So if the rate was in the mid sevens, uh, that's what you're going to be paying on, but you get to pay in the mid sixes for one full year because we're paying that difference for you. Now, some of the other ones are, are where the seller or the buyer can buy the interest rate down. And you can buy it down 1% or 2%, depending on uh, what kind of money you might want to spend up front. Seems like the 1% buy down right now is a good idea, given that um, the predictions anyway are that we should see some uh, interest rate reprieve sometime over the next year or two. And so if we can get it lower for one year at no cost to you, then why not? Um, and I have a lot of people right now, Chris, asking me, 
you know, is this really a good time to buy with these rates of higher? And my answer is one, there's a couple of uh, really good reasons to buy right now. One is that uh, we are in winter, right? And in the winter time, you do get to see a lot more about the house than you ever would in the summer. And they say, yeah, but I don't know what's out there underneath that snow in the yard. And I say, yeah, but you can see what that driveway looks like, the snow and ice in it. Um, how slick is it? Are you going to have um, room to blow or plow your snow out of the way? Are there icicles hanging down off the roof? What temperature is that thermostat set at to keep the house nice and cozy? Do you feel cold air coming in the windows or doors? Um, so you can tell a lot more about the home in the winter time than you ever can in the summer. And let's face it, we have a lot more winter than we do uh, summer, right? And what's under that snow out there in the yard is dirt. You know, you can do whatever you want to with the dirt. But also, there's less competition, it seems, right now. And once we see those rates come down, then everybody that's been hanging out waiting for the rates to come down is going to come back out and be your competition for buying a, buying a home. And once that competition heats up, then, of course, prices continue to increase. So it's a lot better to lock in your price right now because you can't change your, go back and change your price later. Whereas with the interest rate, you can change that later on with a refinance. That's a really good point you make. Another thing in the wintertime, if you go into a home that doesn't have, say, a whole house heating system and in every bathroom or bedroom are little portable heater units, that says something. Or this time of year where things, doors and windows are shut and you see a dehumidifier in every other room, that also says something. And it can inform how you go about uh, negotiating or if you even want the property. That's a, that's a really exactly. good point. Right, right. So I always say this is the very best time. You know, right now um, we, we have uh, sellers that are, uh, you know, in a position now to be able to maybe help out with a little bit of the closing costs and not just totally be 100% in the driver's seat. I mean, it's still a great market, but uh, for sellers, but it's um, not that frenzy that we saw a little bit earlier this year. I want to come back to buying down the interest rates in a second, but just on that point alone, the frenzy piece of it or the multiple offer scenario, what I'm finding and talking to my colleagues around the state and actually around the country it, it, it appears that buyers have a bit of fatigue relative to entering multi-offer. And we're hearing more often than not, oh, you, oh you've oh, you got another offer. Okay, you know what? I'm going to sit back for a minute and I'll let you see mm -hmm. how that one works out. And so that's kind of that that mood. I think you're right when you predicted it. If and when the interest rates do begin to ebb down again, uh, we're going to see some of that frenzy come back, in which case you're mm -hmm. more advantaged right now. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and we've seen just a slight little improvement on the rates here and already those, you know, re prequels and people checking back in again have, have picked up significantly just with the whisper of, of some potentially better interest rates uh, coming up. So my advice, do it right now, right now, right now. <laughs> What's your prediction, Rhonda, for when the refi boom, we'll begin again, because we just saw one over the last couple of years. It's now obviously been, you know, somebody shut the spigot off of, of almost all refinancing right now. Not all, but some uh, exist, but it, you know, it's predominantly that slowed way down. What interest rate will we hit when you predict that those refis will begin to happen again, like 5%, five and a half? Yeah, I think that the, um, that the, uh, it will depend. So it, it, it could be worth it to refinance for just a 1% lower interest rate if you have a pretty high loan amount. But if you have a very small loan amount, you're probably gonna to wanna to see a couple of a percent uh, interest rate drop in order to warrant spending those closing cost funds. So 
I, I can't tell you a number. It depends on where you're at right now mm-hmm. and how much you owe and what those closing costs will look like, whether it's a full refinance or a streamlined refinance, um, what kind of you know costs and expenses and trouble it's going to be to do that refinance. So it's really important that um, that we look at it and do a individual analysis and see what seems to make the most sense as a break-even point. In my little rule of thumb thoughts, if you can, if you're going to be in the home for more than two years and we can recoup your costs in two years, that's when we should be looking at doing a refi. I like that. That's a good rule of thumb. Just quickly, as we wrap up here on buying down the interest rate, if I want, if I'm a buyer and I ask for the seller to pay for um, a rate buy down of a certain percentage, that's allowed by almost every loan program out there, correct? Absolutely. So there's some limits on what the seller can contribute depending on your loan type and your down payment, but it's typically between two and 6% that the seller is allowed to contribute if uh, they're so inclined. And usually that 3% minimum is going to be plenty sufficient to buy down that interest rate for you one or 2%. Okay. And quickly, because we, we do want to talk a little bit about the down payment barrier to entry is is it, since time immemorial, it's existed, hence the idea of these government-backed loans with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Ginnie Mae, VA, FHA, AHFC, all these kinds of programs are designed to help people leverage their way into their own home and into wealth through property ownership. But down payment still, we gotta, you got to have something. Can you tell me about the kind of program where I can say, okay, my uncle, my aunt, my grandmother, my father is willing to help me with that down payment. How can we get those funds from a loved one or family member that's willing to help stake us? Yeah, so we can do that as a gift. They can give you a gift. And actually, I see a lot of that where parents are kind of gifting pre, pre-inheritance pre gifts, you know. Uh, let's go ahead and use it to help you out right now instead of later on when I'm not here to see you enjoy that. And, and so that can be done as a gift. Now, another thing, Chris, that we should probably talk about another time is that they're almost all of the loan products, FHA, VA, conventional, everybody uh, now has some down payment assistance programs where we can do a first and a second. So we can do the first for your uh, main loan, and then we can do a second for down payment help. So there's quite a few down payment assistance programs out there to help with that uh, down payment as well if you don't have a wealthy relative willing to give you a gift. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you said give the gift now while you can watch them enjoy it and and get the benefit of that. And I'm thinking also lord it over them all the while you're still alive. Yeah, I wasn't born into one of those families that had either opportunity. So, <laughs> so down payment assistance could be a good thing. <laughs> All right, I love it. I once gave um, somebody at the city hall a saxophone for their daughter. I'd seen that they were looking for one, and we had one to. We, we were doing nothing with our girls had given up on it long ago, and I gave it to her. And then uh, every time I would call the city hall and ask her something, I said, "Don't forget, I gave you a saxophone." And she goes, "You know <laughs> what?" You go. <laughs> she goes, "At some point, I need to just tell you this that that free." air quote, free saxophone actually cost us probably more to get it tuned back up and in good working order than a new one would have cost us. So, oh, no. <laughs> so uh, yeah, great gift, Chris. That's pretty funny. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. RhondaJohnson.net is the website, or you can call or text 252-5682 around Alaska, Alaska-wide cornerstone home lending. Rhonda Johnson, your on-ramp to all things mortgage. Thank you for being here. Hey, thanks, Chris. Have a great day. All right, we'll be back with more on the Backyard Millionaire. Stick around. 
Well, I hope you'll come say hello on Saturday, December 2nd, or Sunday, December 3rd, or both days at the Nutcracker Fair. I'll be selling my books and a select quantity of rare on-top-of-the-world coins. We've only got a few, a handful of the first and second edition of the On Top of the World coins, and a few that we'll be releasing of the Backyard Millionaire collectible coins. And I'll be in the Commons area at the Nutcracker Fair, just past the fish tank on the same side of the uh, Commons. So I hope, I hope you'll come by, say hello. I'd love to sell you a book or two or three or four for family, friends, Backyard Millionaire. Come on. If you can't make it and you want to order them online in time for Christmas, go to my website, I Love Homer alaska.com forward slash books you can get any or all four of the books there including paperback hardcover ebook audio all available for you at my website and i want to thank joelle at art shop gallery she is such a hero and a champion of mine she sells my pottery first of all you can go get my raku pottery down at the art shop gallery and i, I got to tell you right now there's two pieces in there that are amazingly gorgeous with this bright vivid red i mean these are handmade first of all in I don't want to tout myself, but you look at that and you go, that's genius work, right? I mean, these bowls are beautiful and uh, no wheel involved, just all made with these two amazing hands. I'm looking at my own hands right now. You should know these amazing. Anyway, bright red, beautiful. Anyway, so Joelle at the Art Shop Gallery on Pioneer Avenue uh, is selling that work for me. But I asked her, I said, you know, I need an easel for my fair booth to put up a uh, board. I need an easel. She's like, of course you can borrow an easel. She is all things to artists, and in so doing, she creates an incredible place at the Art Shop Gallery. I want to talk about 2024 trends. What do I expect in real estate? What do I expect in 2024? I'll give you a second to grab a paper and pen. <laughs> I'm not so arrogant. I'm just having fun. Relax. Calm down, everybody. All right. Here's what I predict for 2024. Are you ready? Prices are going to climb somewhat, but the ascent is going to continue to level. You know, it's about time for the beverage service. The drink cart's about to come out. And in first class, that means that the champagne or whatever it is you're getting, it's all included. They say it's free, but it's included in the cost of your ticket. It's about to come out. They're about to take off the no seatbelt uh, the fasten seatbelt signs. It's about to come off. You're about to move about the cabin. In other words, we're not going to see a steep ascent. But they're going to go up a bit, going to go up a bit. I'll predict 3 to 5% this next year. Uh, obviously, your you know results may vary dependent upon, what do you have, an oceanfront house? It's probably going to be a little different. Um, here's my prediction on interest rates. And Rhonda said this already, but I'm going to repeat it. Interest rates are going to come down in the coming year. I don't think they're going to come down so much so that it would be worth, quote, waiting because prices are going to be coming up, but also availability is rare. So you, I'm not suggesting you wait, but I am suggesting that pre-election Fed action is going to bring the rates down somewhat. And here's another prediction. This is for 2024. These are real estate predictions. You can take it to the bank. Homeowners are going to continue to sell and buyers are going to continue to buy. They're just That's my prediction. That sellers are going to sell, buyers are going to buy. Um, and investors, ironically, will continue to invest. And you can track this throughout time. You can go back all the way back to the, 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 the Depression, the 1930s. Guess what? Sellers were selling, buyers were buying, investors were what? Investing. That's it's going to happen again no matter what the economy is. 
We're not waiting for a particular person to become president to start investing. We're not going to wait for the, the, the Republicans to take the Senate. We're not going to wait for the Democrats to take the Senate. We're, we're going to continue to invest because that's what we do. We're investors. So you're going to continue to invest. Buyers buy, sellers sell. That's prediction. Okay. Rents. What are going to happen to rents? Residential rents, I'm talking. Residential rents in 2024 are going to go up between 3 and 5%. You can almost take that to the bank. I don't think there's going to be a steep hockey stick uptick. That's happened over the last couple of years. We've seen a dramatic rent rise coast to coast. I think it's going to continue to go up at a very slower speed. Uh, it's going to, at some point, it'll outpace what people can afford. And that's, you know, we're, we're just not there yet. So I think 3 to 5% this next year. I think tenants who are leery of home ownership are going to remain so. And interest rates aren't going to help that because we're not going to come down enough to convince people, you know what, it's cheaper to buy than it is to rent right now because interest rates are 3.25%. You couldn't, I mean, you couldn't rent cheaper than you could buy. So that took leery, fence-sitting, unsure, not confident buyers and made them into buyers. And I don't think that's going to happen. So I think leery, wary people are going to remain so. And I think backyard millionaires are going to continue to look for their next acquisition even if they don't make one. Even if they don't make one. I think backyard millionaires, people that are pursuing the goal of becoming a backyard millionaire, owning and controlling at least four homes in their own backyard, are going to continue to look and look and look and apply the Dolph DeRoos formula, 100, 10, 3, 1. Going to look at 100 properties, probably online. 10, they're going to take a drive-by, get a little closer look, ask some questions. Three, going to make offers on three and purchase one. Maybe that one is in 2025 or maybe it's next year. We're not in a hurry. We're running a marathon. This isn't a sprint. We know this is the best way to get rich slowly. If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, buy you furniture for your house. Maybe a nice jester That's assuming it's for sale. You're listening to The Backyard Millionaire. I'm Christopher Story. I hope you're having a great day. Lewis Glickman said the best investment on earth, that's right, it is earth. Mm-hmm. And just by the way, you're hearing a lot more right now about REITs, real estate investment trusts. And when you hear those ads and you hear people promoting, maybe it's a YouTube pre-roll ad or you're hearing it on the radio Maybe you're hearing about a friend of yours that's invested in REITs. Maybe some of your favorite financial advisors are offering a, uh, a REIT of their own or a recommendation for a REIT. Just remember this about REITs. You're not investing in real estate. I'll take that to the bank. Real estate investment trusts are investing in real estate. You're not. You're buying a stake in the company, which happens to have its asset classes in real estate. It's not the same thing. You're not an investor in real estate when you invest in REITs. You're an investor into the REIT, into the company, into the organization. You're getting a share of that company. Now, it may or may not pay dividends, but the company trades in a commodity known as real estate. You don't. You don't have any control over it. 
You're not going to have any say-so. You're not going to get to determine what and where and when. You're not going to be able to determine which type or class of property or style of property. Um, you can watch the news and hope that the, the REIT will make decisions based on the best known information to protect your investment, your shares, your stocks. Just understand, it, you're not investing in real estate when you invest in REITs. And I, I'm not saying don't. I'm not suggesting against REITs. If you've got extra money and you do not want to actually own your own real estate or you want to own a REIT, a share of a REIT in addition to your own real estate, fine. But when you own real estate, you are the board of directors. You are the CEO. You are the CFO. The Backyard Millionaire Formula is a four-home formula and it allows you to control your destiny, but not just controlling your destiny. It also allows you to leave a legacy. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to talk about whose cost is it anyway. Going to break down the customary closing costs for both buyers and sellers. And we just put out our edition of Good to Be Home by Story Real Estate. This is our 17th issue. I hope you're getting these. These are free. We mail them to you. Compliments of the Story Real Estate team. It's called Good to Be Home. Warm wishes this particular edition. And there's some cool things, really cool articles in here. There's a DIY article but a woman who does a lot of home renovation, awesome. And the recipes are par excellence. John and Mary Calhoun make almost every single recipe that's in these magazines, in these publications. Then they'll tell me about them. And they're amazing and delicious. And they look amazing. Plus, I'm going to read out of this particular edition the do's and don'ts of Curb Appeal with your home when we return to the Backyard Millionaire. I'm holding this glossy cover, covered magazine. It's a beautiful magazine, courtesy of Story Real Estate. Meet our team of experts loving what we do for you since 2002, Story Real Estate. And it was not a, this is not an advertisement, truly. This magazine that we send to you is just a good, it's courtesy of us. So obviously we get a little branding out of it, but it, it is a cool magazine. Tiffany curates the articles and uh, the, the picks the recipes and things. And it, amazing. Uh, like, look at this one. Upgrade your holiday leftovers. This quiche with holiday leftovers looks fantastic. And then these cookies, apple maple glazed cookies, um, mouth watering. There's a ton of recipes in here. But what I want to share with you right now, by the way, you are listening to The Backyard Millionaire, how to create wealth where you are with what you've got. I'm Chris Story. You can find me online, ilovehomeralaska.com. These are the do's and don'ts of curb appeal. And I thought these were just kind of interesting. I'm just going to gloss over them with you. Don't go overboard with adornments. 
says the article. From holiday decorations to personal touches like door hangers and yard signs, it's important to remember to keep exterior ornamentation minimally. Potential buyers should be able to picture themselves in your home, and too much personalization can make that impossible for them. This is outdoor they're talking about, so adornment and so forth. Don't go overboard. Do paint your door or replace your front door. That's a big, that's a big deal. Remember, your front door is your house's handshake. How is it? Is it firm or is it limp? Mm -mm. Nobody likes a limp, corpsey type handshake. You know that. Nice and firm. Make it, make it a nice front door. Good color, all that. Okay. Don't neglect your roof or gutters. That's so important. When you go to a house, especially if it's a little rainy and when you see it dripping off of the edge of the gutter, if you have gutters, if you don't have gutters, get gutters, please. If you've got a gutter that's so full that it's dripping over the edge, you've got a problem. Or if it looks like your, your gutters need to be mowed, you've got a problem. Pay attention to that. Uh, curb appeal, do add outdoor lighting. That makes a big difference. My neighbor just recently put in some up their driveway, on both sides of their driveway, uh, solar-powered little lights. And I thought, well, that'll be interesting. They're awesome. They actually work at night, and they look cool. I've seen some that are that are super low, which snow's going to cover in the winter, and th th those aren't cool. These are higher, taller, and they really light up their driveway at night. They look awesome. Even by day, they look cool. Don't forget about your mailbox. So many times, a mailbox is just sort of a, eh, Whatever, but if you're in a rural area where you're on a, on a rural route, make it cool. You could do something really cool for a not a lot of money with a mailbox. Do pressure wash your sidewalks, driveway, and patio. And I'd say the same with your house if you've got moss. We, we here at the office at uh, Story Real Estate is the corner of West Hill and the Sterling Highway. Online, I love Homer. Stop it. Anyway, so our office gets cobwebs out like crazy. We've got the masonry siding. And for some reason, a couple times a summer, we got to go out there and pressure wash this puppy. I don't know why, but parts, it's just something about, I guess, where we're sitting here, but we got to do it. So don't forget to pressure wash your site, but be careful. I saw somebody pressure wash a roof the other day, and uh, whoa, it's a shingle roof. And I, I'm going to guess by the time this guy was done pressure washing the roof, and this is no exaggeration, um, I think he probably took off five years of life expectancy on that roof. So don't. I would If I was going to write this article, I'd say, do pressure wash your sidewalks, driveway, and patio. Don't pressure wash your roof. Because you may get the moss off, but man, comes with it a ton of the roof. Don't do it. Okay, don't make your landscape a headache, obviously. Do get rid of dead plants and leaves. Don't leave rusted or rotted materials lying about. That includes, I think they're talking like hinges and other types of things. So easy to replace some of this stuff. Uh, do keep up with your neighbor's aesthetic. All right, now we don't want to keep up with the Joneses, but what the, what the article is saying is, well, I'll just read it to you. It says, whatever updates you make to your home, you don't want to stray too far afield from the norm of your neighborhood. For example, painting your exterior a bright color when the rest of your neighborhood is neutral may be a way to make your, ha your home stand out for the wrong reasons. You do not want to stand out for the wrong reasons. If you would like to get a copy of Good to Be Home, courtesy of Story Real Estate, mailed to you directly, uh, you're a fan of the show, obviously, you're here. Text, message me your name and address. We'll put you on the list. There'll be one more, I believe, before the end of the year. And then you'll be on uh, the, the list forevermore. And then it'll just come to your mailbox. Send me your name and address right now at 907 299 
and we'll put you on the mailing list for good to be home and in fact you can we've got copies here at the office we'll send you one of these it's so so cool so uh, let's get you on that list not lisp list i had a lisp as a child i just saw a comedian this morning uh well I don't know when she said it, but I just saw the YouTube clip this morning. Somebody sent to me, knowing full well I had a lisp. They, they sent this to me, and it's this young, it's this young sort of woman comedian. She's probably thirty or thirty-two. She said that she had a lisp, but didn't know it. Everybody else knew it, but she didn't know it. And she goes, you know, by the second grade or something, finally a teacher pulled her aside and said, you know, you've got a lisp. She goes, no, a lisp? What are you talking about, lisp? She goes, if you need me, I'll be on the FIFA. <laughs> Uh, mine comes back once in a while if I'm not careful about how I speak. This is why when you hear me, sometimes I'll say Christopher story because putting the two ethics together kind of really trips me up. Uh, okay, whose cost is it anyway? Okay, there, we know that there's going to be some cost, but who's got to pay them? Yeah, I thought a little jazz would go nicely with this little segment right here. Whose cost is it anyway? Well, first of all, remember this. Always remember this, everything is negotiable, okay? I'm going to talk about customary closing costs, but you need to hear everything I'm saying right now through the filter of that's negotiable, oh, that's negotiable, that's negotiable. This is merely a guide or a guideline with which to negotiate from. It's not something you must do, but it's good to know what the rules are if you're going to break them before you break them, okay? Uh, Oh, and one other little caveat here about loan programs, there's VA... Maybe there's, there's one other. I'll have to ask Rhonda, but I think just VA is about the only loan program that's going to dictate what some buyer cannot pay. Like VA will not let a buyer pay any portion of the brokerage fee. VA will not let a buyer pay the escrow closing fee. And then I think there's one loan fee, ironically, they won't let the buyer pay for. All right, that's all negotiable except for those things if your buyer's using VA. All right, so I'm going to look at the purchase and sale agreement for Alaska. Your state may vary if you're listening to this later on the podcast. This may not apply to you. Or let's say you're moving out of state and you're going to be buying somewhere else. You'll want to ask the norms and the customary splits where you're going. And then, hey, remember, it's negotiable. All right, so the costs typically are going to be broke out as follows. The typical buyer costs are going to be whatever cost to get your loan. VA excluded. It, whatever cost to get your loan typically is going to be on your side. That's your loan origination fee, commitment fee, discount points. Put a pin in that for a second. Uh, loan fees, lender doc prep fee, lender processing fee. Those are typically borne by the buyer, along with your credit report cost, 18 bucks. Who cares? Um, reserves and prepaid interest. And reserves, remember, that's your impound account for taxes and insurance. It builds up such that when those are due, there's an account in your name and the lender pays those insurance bills and the tax bill. Um, prepaid interest, that's, that's going to be a one-time cost and that's going to be prepaid interest from the date you close until the next payment is due. So they, they're, you know, the bank isn't, you don't get any breaks here. You may not make your first payment for a month, but by God, they're going to be collecting interest. Don't worry about that. Um, and then uh, flood certification and tax registration, typically in Alaska, paid by the seller. Why? Nobody knows. It's $88, so nobody cares either. Uh, home warranty, where you're in Homer anyway, in a Homer, Alaska, uh, it's worthless. We just don't have service providers for it. But any, almost anywhere else, again, this is highly negotiable, but it would be handy to have if you had service providers willing to service that home warranty. But here, around here, we don't. So small rural areas, be careful of that. 
Sales tax typically split. Now remember, sales tax here, I'm speaking for Alaska, is on the uh, fees involved. So that's your escrow fee, that's your brokerage fees, things like that are subject to sales tax, not the sale. There is no transfer tax. However, if the legislature gets their way and they would make us a reporting state such that every sale would be reported to the borough, the state would have the ability to apply a fee based on a percentage of the sale price and call that a transfer tax. So the realtors have got you covered. We lobby against that for your benefit because that's an, that's a, a, that would make how talk about making housing unaffordable. But, you know, when did uh, when did that matter to the politicians, right? Uh, okay, let's talk about homeowners association fees. If you're living within a homeowners association, expect there's going to be some sort of a transfer fee. Either they charge for a questionnaire, a transfer fee, or a resale certificate. And that's typically paid for by a seller. It's typically your obligation to tell the buyer and show and prove to them that you are in good standing with the, the HOA. And the HOA itself is in good standing. That's what the, that's what the resale cert's about. Appraisal. I would have told you two years ago, three years ago, I said, oh, that's 99% paid by the seller, almost 99% of the time. Right now, uh, I don't want to say fitty-fitty, but it's getting closer to, mm, it could go either way. We see so many now where the buyers are offering to pay the appraisal. And look, in just my short career, 22 years, the appraisal prices have gone from 250 to 1200 $250, now they're about 1200 sometimes more, depending upon supply and demand. That's a lot of pressure on them right now. Uh, homeowners, um, owner title insurance. Well, when you list a property, you're almost always agreeing to go ahead and provide marketable, insurable title. It's still negotiable, but almost always a seller is going to pay for that. The Alta title policy, typically your buyer is going to pay. That's a requirement of your lender. And then the recording fees and the escrow fees are split 50-50. Um, Brokerage fee is almost always paid by the seller. However, it can be paid by anybody. I did a seven-figure transaction this year, and the buyer paid the brokerage fee in full. So it's just it doesn't um, it's not written in stone. Can be paid by either party. And by the way, compensation doesn't equal representation. Who's paying that is irrelevant as to who's being represented. Remember that. Uh, smoke detectors are required by Alaska state law along with CO detectors, and they're marked in the closing costs on our contracts. Simply, I think, as a reminder to everybody, hey, don't forget to have these in there. you got to have these according to state statute. And then there's a myriad of tests, everything from home inspection to well flow, water quality, septic adequacy. Those tests, that's, that's so hard to say. I would say... If you had to ask me, if I, you know, gun to the head, I'd say, oh, 90% seller paid, but not, definitely not always. It's getting more. That's a little bit up in the air, but I uh, figure that's going to be another about 1000 to $1,200. So, you know, it's just, it just depends. Sometimes people are offering to pay for the thing up front, the test up front, and then have the seller reimburse for 50% or all of it at closing, uh, just to minimize the out, the outflow of cash up front. But that's who's cost is it anyway remember if you remember nothing else about that everything is negotiable there's nothing set in stone or mandatory so if somebody tells you there is to say nope chris story told me everything's negotiable by golly i want to negotiate on this and uh and then have that it doesn't mean you're going to get it but you can try thank you for listening to what my mom calls the greatest show on earth mr david webb's been your engineer and producer back up the mothership i'm chris story reminding you that you really can make a million bucks in your own backyard see you next time Thank you.